Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Okay, I'm here with former top flight referee Steve Conroy. Steve left refereeing in 2012 and is now one of the most erudite and insightful refereeing commentators around, which is why we have him on. Welcome, Steve. Where else to start but at Ibrox yesterday, one of the most controversial games I think we've had this season, which you wouldn't expect to say about our Rangers-St Mirren matchup, but four penalties in one game, quite quite an unusual and unprecedented situation. I think, I think one other time in the past, I think there was five penalties given in one game, but certainly not in Scottish football. Perhaps it's best just to drill down into the detail of each individual penalty. I know you've already done that in the Sunday Mail uh, in written form, but here perhaps on the podcast it would be good to, to talk through them. Um, the first one, relatively straightforward for you, Steve. Oh yes, yep, not, not a problem with that one. Um, a definite, uh, definite penalty. And for the life of me, I don't know what the defender was doing, but no, not a problem with that one. Yeah, absolutely agree with you there. Um, just a clumsy bit of defending. Um, so we'll skip straight on past that one because I think almost everybody's in agreement that uh, that was uh, spot on uh, from Andrew Dallas. We move on to the second one. I think this is where there might be some disagreement from the listeners um, and from yourself in terms of what actually happened. What was your take on that uh, penalty? Uh, on that one, I certainly don't think it. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's an opinion. I think it's a matter of fact that there was no contact between uh, Defoe and the defender. It looked like the defender was going to weave his foot. It looked like it, but he uh, planted it. It was very firmly on the ground. No contact with Defoe whatsoever. Um, but he still, um, he still went down. Um, Nath politely said that maybe he was anticipating. Uh, a tackle um, and try to get out of the, the way of it. I think that's polite, but there was absolutely no cause for him to go down. Okay, that's your opinion on that, Steve. Um, what I want to do is drill into the detail of the contact itself. Now, you, you've said that you don't think there was contact, and that's absolutely fair enough. Now, let's just assume that there was very slight contact. What does that mean in terms of the rules? If Because you hear a lot of people saying, well, there was contact, he was entitled to go down. How, how does that actually work? Well, it's you know it's a contact sport. There's going to be contact, um, and depending on different people saying different uh, different scenarios. If you feel contact, he's he's entitled to go down. I think is uh, a good way of putting it. Um, I don't think that people should be going down at the slightest uh, bit of contact. There's I think a world of difference in brushing against somebody um, and uh, doing a nil time tackle. So going the what we saw yesterday, if the defender had left his leg uh, outstretched like it, it, it looked as though Defoe was expecting, I would think that that would have been a penalty because it would, it, it would have tripped him up. Obviously that would have been an, uh, impeding him. So I, I think that would have been a penalty, but you know, minimal contact, brushing, no, I don't think that those are, those are penalties. And people, you know, we, we, we lambast referees about uh, giving 
soft penalties, inverted commas, uh, and the like. But it's we can only go on what the players present to us. Um, and if people go down at, at the minimal, uh, minimal touch, it makes it difficult for, uh, for the ref. Yeah, it was quite interesting that Defoe didn't claim for it either. It was just an odd set of circumstances after he actually went down. He immediately jumped back to his feet. I think because he knew it was so obvious um, that he, he, he did jump up. Uh, there was nothing made him go down in the first instance. So the fact that he jumped up quick, I don't think, uh, absolved him from, uh, from my opinion, from uh, the initial dive. Okay, well, we're going to move on to, to the third one, which is um, the, the handball incident. Again, what was your initial opinion on that? My initial thoughts on it um, were that it wasn't a um, Handball is uh, a deliberate handball. Um, and we, we all know the, the things that people say about you know, your arms being in an unnatural position, the defenders or whoever, trying to make themselves big. Um, when you see uh, that incident, nothing could be further from the truth about the, the defender. Um, the opposite of trying to make himself big, he drew his arms in towards him. Um, they weren't outstretched, he wasn't making himself big. If anything, he was making himself smaller. In my opinion, that's not a foul, it's not a deliberate handball. So the positional positioning of all that, I think, is, is uh, irrelevant because it shouldn't have been a foul in the first place. Okay, moving away from the opinion and once again into the rules, um, there's been a lot of conjecture about the fact that the ball hit the hand outside the box initially and then actually pressed against the hand for maybe half a second. And by the time the ball left that area, it was in the penalty box. Could you explain if you felt that that was in fact, and I know you don't, but if you did think it was deliberate handball, how would that circumstance affect the decision to give a penalty or not? Yeah, there's been debate about this um, in previous years, maybe, maybe not uh, been in the, the public domain, but there has been debate um, about where you give the, the foul and... What was decided was that where the initial incident takes place, that's where you uh, that's where you give it. So the fact that the handball was outside the box in the first instance, if you were going to give a foul, it would be outside the box. So that's pretty clear then. On that case, that's been one that's caused a lot of uh, conjecture, as we say. So, so um, if that's been a case, is this one of these situations where there's been refereeing guidance, the the infamous refereeing guidance that we don't see. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to give you a, 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 a statement from the IFAB rules here, Steve, because this has been part of the debate that's been coming back and forward on social media. And this is in reference to advantage and the advantage section, and it refers to holding. 
But a lot of people are using this as an example of why if a decision starts outside the penalty area and continues in, it means that it should therefore be a penalty. And the quote is, if a defender starts holding an attacker outside the penalty area and continues holding inside the penalty area, the referee must award a penalty kick. Now, the question I have for you is, does that just refer to holding or does it carry into other areas? Technically, if it's written down, um, then that's exactly what they're, uh, what they're speaking about, but, uh, or that, that's what they're referring to, but you can't have every eventuality written down in uh, whatever, how uh, many number of pages the, the rules are. Um, so a lot of the time it's taken that um, you will infer from one uh, written guideline that, that that would apply to, uh, to all others. So uh, they would think that if it was uh, talking about a handball, then it should be treated uh, the same way. Um, but uh, again, we've had uh, discussion and there was incidents in America and all the rest of it um, where it was taken that it was um, where the initial contact was, that's where you would, uh, that's where you would give the, the, the foul. Um, but again, I'm, you know, I, I'm not even sure that the hand continued into the box by getting that bit there, that, that's opinion. Um, it, it doesn't change the fact that uh, I don't think it was a foul in the first instance. And just to drill into the details, Steve, of, of these meetings, these referee meetings and the guidance that you're given that we've already touched upon, does that tend to, to trump all? And, and what are your thoughts on how that affects a referee? In a sense, you're, you're, you're refereeing the game as... With, with the knowledge of that guidance, whereas the fans watching it and the journalists who are commenting on it don't have that information. Oh, no, they, no they, they don't. I don't think these things are uh, given out to the public as, as much as they should do. And, and yeah, you're, you're right, with the, the guidance that we're given in, uh, in these meetings, it does trump all that's how we're, we're told to, to referee. Um, and you know, for any particular instance, that's what, what we're told to do. Um, and I know it's, it can be infuriating for the uh, for the, the crowd and everybody else involved in it if they are not aware of how we are being told to interpret um, situations. Um, and I think it would be better if uh, these things were made much more widely known. Yeah, a good example of this is obviously the Alfredo Morelos situation where he, he, he kicks out and uh, you would think under the IFAB rules that is a situation where it's violent conduct because it is deliberate violence. How can you construe a kick as anything other than deliberate violence? However, there has been guidance that no one's seen that has been given to the referees to suggest that, that we're going to treat these a little bit um, less severely. Um, and you've seen the controversy that's come from that single incident. Yeah, and they, they introduced words like... Um you know, um, brutality and uh, oh, I can't, can't remember the exact other way of uh, describing it excess force things. excessive force, yeah. Again, yeah yeah, but again, you know, your idea of a brutal tackle is different from my idea of a brutal tackle um, and there, there's, there's no way that you can I think, say to, to anybody that this, this is how we're going to deal with uh, a, a brutal uh, challenge because my settings are different from yours. Um, and so I think that that absolutely introduces um, divinity and inconsistency. Yeah, Steve, I'm from Bathgate, so my idea of brutality might be different from someone from Bears Den. Everything's up in the air. But again, it's, it's down to interpretation. 
We go into the last one then, the Candias um, situation where he's, the ball comes to him at the edge of the box, he's in the D uh, and there's a, a player who's got his arm around his leg, Candias goes down, he goes down in the box but there's Dubai about where the tackle took place, what's your view on that one? My, my view on that one was that it was outside the box and he dived deliberately into the box. Um, I think it was a deliberate attempt to try and con the ref. Um, so, I, in my opinion, again, um, not only was it not a penalty, the, uh, the player should have been cautioned for it as well. I think it was a deliberate attempt to, uh, to deceive the ref. Again, looking back on these things, and I have the benefit of having watched them maybe a hundred times today, uh, Steve, um, one of the questions I have for you with regards to this is um, where a penalty is given based on where a foul takes place. So, for example, if a foul is deemed to have taken place on the line, uh, you know, at the end of the D, uh, so the line just before the penalty, you enter the penalty box, if it happens on the line, is that a penalty? Yes. If it's in contact with any part of the line that's taken to be inside the box, the, the wording in the law says that any part of the line is taken as the area that is, uh, uh, that is uh, depicting. So it wouldn't even matter if it was a single blade of uh, white line on the grass. If it was on that, that would be taken as in the box. And I think the other thing that's caused a little bit of controversy regarding this one is, again, it's that quote um, that I gave you earlier about the fact that the holding started outside. Now, it's down to interpretation whether people think it, it ended up inside or not. But I think that's a, that's a rule that many people were not aware of. I think lots of people feel that where a, a tackle begins is where the foul will, will, will be given. And that's actually not the case in this example of holding, is it? Uh, no, it, it, should be, it should be exactly the same as, uh, as you've said. Um, it will... Uh it will be given uh, where it ends up, so it would be in the box. Um, but I, again, on that one, it started at, uh, outside the box, and I think it finished outside the box, and he deliberately dived inside. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's your take on it. I just wanted to get to drill down into the detail of different people's interpretations because I think if you look at the social media reaction, it's very much it's very much split down tribal lines. Um, and I understand, obviously, you're giving your um, your your unvarnished opinion on this, but I just want to make sure that we are uh, given the detail uh, for people who might have different opinions. Um, just to, to sort of tie all this together, um, Steve, there's been a lot of talk about VAR and how that will help improve Scottish refereeing. Is that something that you think needs to be brought in to give the kind of definitive answer to some of these questions and give a bit of time and space for referees to, to review something? I, I, I think so. Um, the, the, going on yesterday's uh, incidents, he said that they told you that um, Defoe wasn't touched. I think it would uh, tell you that um, I think that, uh, it would give somebody a chance to have a look at the, the handball one. Because um, it has to be, if there's a, you know, a clear error, it can't be another opinion piece. Um, so I think VAR would have helped out um, in the Rangers game because I think all of them, it would be matters of fact rather than, than opinions. So I think it would have dug, it would have got them, I think, at least another chance uh, to re review the situations. And I think given the chance to review them, I think uh, the decisions would have been different. 
Steve, we're all passionate about our football. I imagine you got into refereeing because you loved the game. I got into journalism because I love the game and all the fans are the same. But sometimes that passion can go a bit wrong, especially for referees, as we saw with the situation with John Beaton. I just wondered what your idea is to, to make sure that we understand the role of the referee better, we understand how he applies the rules. How do we do that going forward and improve this situation? Well, you've, you've touched on it. That I, I think communication could be uh, much better. Um, and if we have been told to interpret situations in certain ways, then it, it wouldn't hurt if that was uh, given out to the public. It wouldn't hurt if it was given to people in your profession um, so that people know uh, know what to expect. Um, all, all right, there's always going to be uh, differences of opinion. Um, of course there is, and I think that's partly why everybody loves the game. Um, but I think the, the more things are communicated, the better, just so you know, uh, just so people know uh, how we've been asked to, uh, to do things so none of it should come as a surprise Absolutely, Steve Conroy thank you very much for joining me